I want you to open your Bibles back to the book of Judges and chapter number 15. Judges chapter 15. We're doing a study on the life of Samson just for a handful of weeks here. Talked about him last week and learned some lessons about Samson. And now today we're going to get back into it. And I want to, I want to go back over a little bit chapter 15 and learn some lessons from the life of Samson that would be uh, pertinent to us today. Sam, Samson is an iconic individual in the history of the nation of Israel. And yet if you look at what he accomplished, he didn't do a whole lot for the long term. Much of what Samson did was in the moment. And, and though he etched a name for himself uh, in judges and in the minds of so many people, yet the reality is his impact was not as great as some of the lesser known characters in the Bible. And so chapter 16 talks about verse number 1, Then Samson went to Gaza and saw there a har- uh, excuse, I'm in chapter 16, I'm going to go to chapter 15. Um, it came to pass within a while after that, the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with, with a kid, and she said, I will, go into my wa- I will go into my wife into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her, and therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught three hundred foxes, and took firebrands, and turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines, and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and olives. Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them uh, hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah, and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are ye come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come up, and to do him to him as he hath done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went to the top of the rock Edom, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. And when he came into Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his hands loosed from off, uh, the bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, 
and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the name of that place Ramoth-Lehi. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name of the place in Hakori, which is in, uh, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Father, would you help us now and open to our eyes and our hearts your word. Give us the things, dear God, that we have need of as we study the life of this significant character in your word. And Lord, apply the truths that we might live our life in a way that would be uh, better for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Now, we studied last week in that in the time of the judges, there were seven cycles that the children of Israel went through in their relationship with the Lord. They, first of all, enjoyed the blessings of God and prospered under it. In the second place is that in prosperity, the people became lax in their spiritual walk with God and began to drift from Him. The third step was that God sent oppression to turn His rebellious people back and the fourth step is that they finally cried out to God for help. And then finally, God sends a deliverer to free his people. There were of these deliverers, 13 men in one, or 12 men and one woman, 13 deliverers in all. Deborah was the woman that, that delivered along with Barak. And, and so those are those that are listed. Now, Samson is later, excuse me, Samuel is later listed as both a prophet and as a judge. But in the book of Judges, there were 13 of those that were given there. We'll go through them at another time uh, on our Wednesday night study when we, when we do the book of Judges. And so uh, there was a, uh, a family, uh, the husband whose name was Manoah, that God came and visited and told them that their son that they would have would be the next deliverer of the nation of Israel. And as it grew, it became very evident that the hand of God was upon him, that God had a plan and a purpose for the life of this young man by the name of Samson, and God was using him. He was gifted and, and uniquely empowered by God. And, and yet it becomes evident as we wade in out of chapter 13 into chapter 14, we find immediately in the first verse Samson going down to Timnath, and, and, and Samson was a self-indulged individual. He was carnal. He allowed the desires and the appetites of his flesh to lead him and to dictate the direction of his life. And so he winds up spending a great deal of time uh, uh, there in Timnath. And, and he winds up marrying a Philistine woman that was contrary to the will of God for his life. And, and everything in Samson's life begins to go downhill from that point on. And, and, and there are lessons here. Uh, in the life of this man, particularly chapter 14 and then chapter 15 that we've just read, that I want you and I to make note of that might help us today as we move on our way. First lesson I find from the life of Samson from these two chapters is simply this. Flirtation leads to fixation. 
Flirtation leads to fixation. Notice chapter 14, verse 3. In verse 1, you find him going down to Timnath. He's girl shopping. He's going to find a wife among the, the, the women of Philistia. In verse 3 of chapter 14, Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never, you ought to circle that word because it's very significant, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me. Why? For she pleaseth me well. And so Samson was, he was, he was flirting in a place called Timnath with things that he should not be dealing with. Can I tell you this, that, that, that before a person ever becomes a drug addict, there's, there's that, first, that, it's that first fix, that first, that first high, that first flirtation, that first hanging out with people that are doing things they shouldn't do. Before you ever go off the deep end, as somebody would say in life, you always begin by, 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 by hanging near the edge and living near the edge. And so... In his life, flirtation always uh, took him in the wrong direction, and so flirtation leads to fixation. It wasn't his first foray into the world of Timnath. It wasn't his first visit with the Philistine people and, and uh, its lack of morals and its pagan lifestyle. His parents, his parents hoped that it would just simply be uh, a passing fancy in his life but he became fixated. Can I tell you this? If you keep staring, you'll start daring. You can mark that down. The moment you begin to stare, you begin to take a dare. The, the more fixated you become on the things of the world, the more likely it is that you're going to go uh, in that direction. By the way, Samson was not only fixated on what he wanted, he was fixated on what he did not want. He did not want to be held accountable. He did not want to have to live up to the expectations that others had uh, for him as the leader of Israel. He didn't want to live within the boundaries. He didn't want to answer to anybody but to himself. He, he didn't want to fulfill his God-given purpose in life. Samson wanted nothing to do with any type of shackle or boundary. He just wanted to be his own man, do his own thing, have his own fun, live his own way, go his own direction. That was, that was Samson. And so he was fixated not just on the things that he wanted in Timnath. Samson was fixated on the things that he did not want to be a part of his life. And, and so he took the easy way out. Now it's, it's interesting that the Bible says in chapter 14 verse 1 that he went down to Timnath. That's a bit of a symbolic word there. You might underline that. Isn't it interesting? You can ask Jonah how how things go when you go down. Jonah went down uh, to go to Tarshish. Jonah, when he was called a Nineveh, Jonah went down into the ship. Jonah went down into the sea. Jonah went down into the fish. I'm just going to tell you that the direction of a life away from God is never upward. It's never, it's never where we find ourselves going forward or, or upward for God. It's always a dissension away from God and away from happiness, away from purpose, away from joy. And Samson shows us that very clearly. He was tempted to have his own way. You know this, that nine times in the Bible, nine times in the Bible, the nation of Israel as a whole is described as being stiff-necked. Okay. Have you ever woke up in the morning and, and you, you just, I don't know what it was, you're not sure what happened, but you just woke up and your neck was stiff? You ever been there? It just, I mean, it's just, you just wake up and you can't turn, and so you have to look this way. 
you know, if somebody comes up and yells at you, oh, man, it just kills your neck, and that's being stiff-necked. You know what that means? The easiest thing for you to do is just stare forward. It's just, it, you just keep focused right here. I'm just, no, I, I don't, no, it hurts to look there. It hurts to look here. I'm really rigid. I'm just fixated on what's in front of me. Well, that's exactly what the nation of Israel were. They were fixated on doing everything that was wrong. The Lord said unto Moses in Exodus chapter 32, verse 9, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Second Chronicles 30, verse 8, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary. And even in the book of Acts, chapter 7, uh, when the message is being preached there, uh, to the nation of Israel, it, it, the Bible says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. He's saying you're stiff-necked in your heart, you're stiff-necked in your ears, you're not listening, you're not picking up what others are saying, what God is saying, what God's Word is saying. No, no, you're only hearing what you want. You're stiff-necked in your hearing. You only hear what you want to hear. You ever talk with your child and you said to them, wait, 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 wait. Did you hear what I said to you? And they repeat something back to you that was entirely what you did not say to them. You know why? Because they're hearing what they want you to say to them. Sometimes we're like that with God. You know, the Word of God is specific and clear. It's black ink on white paper. God speak to, speaks to us very specifically. But we want to hear what God says in our way, in our wording, and we rephrase God a lot. That's called resting the Scriptures. We take the Bible out of context, and we twist it and rest it so that it fits us and, and sounds better to us, and, and, and uh, we like it a lot better. And so flirtation, listen to me, stare and you'll dare. Listen, stare and you'll dare. Keep staring, you'll start daring. When you become fixated on something, sooner or later, that's the direction you're going in. So you better make sure that your heart and your ears and your life isn't fixated on Philistia, on the things of the world. Second thing is this, fixation. So flirtation leads to fixation. Well, what does fixation lead to? Isolation. When you become fixated, you ultimately become isolated. Now think about Samson. Go back and read chapter 14 if you weren't here for last week's message, and you'll find out that Samson, Samson isolated himself from his parents. I mean, he, he, he basically, he's keeping secrets from them. Now, this is the mom and dad. This is the mom and dad that raised him to be what God wanted him to be. And now all of a sudden he's keeping secrets from them. He doesn't tell them about the lion attack because he doesn't want them to know uh, where he's been and what happened on his way home. He, listen to me. He doesn't want to hear their input. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to hear their lecture. He's not interested in letting them in on what's happened in his life. And so he doesn't tell them where he's been. He doesn't tell them about the lion attack because he doesn't want to hear what they have to say. Now, suddenly, here's a kid that's grown up in this home, and he's suddenly becoming deceptive. He's deceiving his parents and not telling them the full truth, just partial truths. It's, it's not that he's lying, it's that he's withholding truth. It's not that I'm giving you a lie, it's that I'm withholding truth from you. And that's where we find Samson. He's in that mode of deception, of withholding 
withholding the truth. He isolates himself from his own people. Really, he's becoming more comfortable among the Philistines in Timnath than he is his own people. He likes their customs. He likes their culture. He likes the, the fact that, that it's feeling more like home to him than ever before. Somebody says to me, uh, a guy said to me sometime, he, he said, you know, I've got more in common. I've got more in common with, with the people in the world than I do Christian people. Well, that's not really a good commentary. In fact, that's a pretty sad commentary. If you tell me that you're more at home in a bar than you are in church, then something's wrong in your life. And, 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 and look, I, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying you ought to check your life out. You do a little inventory there. It might help you. Because the reality of the matter is you're not going to get any help there. And, and, and the truth of the matter is you come to church for the right reason. God can speak to your heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, But be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 1 says you to offer yourself a living sacrifice. That means give your life to God. Don't be conformed to the world. So my question to you would simply be this. Who are you becoming more like? My question to you would be, and my question to me would be, who, who is it? Who are, we, who are we being conformed? Because let me help you with this. You are, you, you are becoming. You're in the, all of us are in the process of becoming someone. We're becoming who we're going to be. Who we are now, unless there's a change, is going to determine to a great degree who we are five years from now because that's a flow, that's a direction, that's a process. Who are you becoming conformed like? Are you getting more like the world? Or more like your Heavenly Father? Then we have to make those determinations. And I, look, uh, look, I I know, I know there's room for disagreement there, but I, but I think you ought to be wise enough and cautious enough that, that, that if the counselors of your life, if, if, if it looks like maybe you're drifting a little bit, listen to people. I, I hope I would. If I was beginning a drift and people that I knew had always loved me came to me and said, you know, I think, Pastor, I, I just think you're drifting. I, 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 I hope that I would be sensitive enough to realize I'm not supposed to be conformed that way. Who, who are you being conformed to? We're not to be unequally yoked. We're, we're to have fellowship with our Father, and we need to be careful with that. Let me say third of all, isolation. So, so we've got flirtation leads to fixation. Fixation leads, fixation leads uh, to isolation. L let me say this. Look at me. Listen. Let's take another moment on this. I, I always get concerned when I see people that were one time happy in the house of God that are beginning to isolate themselves from the very people they once found fellowship with. That's dangerous. That's always dangerous. Can I tell you, if, 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 I, if I ever call you, it's because I love you. It's not because I'm trying to hound you or bother you. I just love you. I, I hope if I miss church today, you'd reach out to me, maybe. Pastor, where were you? Chad's jokes were horrible. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, plenty of reasons to do that. I, I, I just love you. And, and I think we all, look at me. Here's the thing about a New Testament church. We're all accountable to each other, aren't we? Do, do you feel that way? We're family. So to a degree, we're all accountable to each other. Now, it's not a forced accountability. It's voluntary. You can always say, Pastor, shut up and leave me alone. And I, I will for a week. And... and <laughs> 
And, and so, I mean, it's not a forced accountability. It's just that if we love each other, we want to help each other. If I'm down, you're going to be there. If you're down, I want to be there. And, and, and we, there's, there's an accountability that's very important. And so we, we, I've seen the sad story so many, many times, so many times in, in life. And so let's don't go AWOL on God. And if somebody does go AWOL, let's go out and find them. Let's love them and try to help them the best we can. And so flirtation leads to isolation. Where does isolation lead to? It leads to ignorance. Now, don't get mad at that. Listen to that. Because I'm not talking about somebody being dumb. I'm talking about when you're isolated, you miss hearing things that you should hear. Okay? You, you, you miss hearing it. His detachment did not lead him to a good place. He, became, he started flirting with Timnath. He became fixated on Timnath. He isolated himself. He isolated himself from, from his parents. He isolated himself from his people. And he isolated himself from the Word of God and, and violated his Nazarite vow. And so here's a guy that's, he's isolated. Now, wait a minute. When you're isolated over there, nobody can reach you. Nobody can get to you. Nobody can help you. So there, there comes with isolation a certain amount of ignorance of what's going on, or on in your life and, and what people are seeing. Let me give you an example. If you go back and study the war, you know why they put people in isolation? It's not because it's healthy. Yeah, they don't, you know, we're going we're gonna to stick you in a cell somewhere. We're, we're putting you in isolation because we think you le- you're looking weak and and mentally frail, and this will help you. No, isolation is devastating to the human psyche. We were created for, for community. And so God, is His people, gives us a, a church family that gives us community, and it's healthy for us. We, we, we fellowship with each other, and it's, it's, it's a time of, of encouragement and a time of health. The, the, the realization is, is simply this, um, when you're not here, your seat is empty. When you're not here, um, your voice is silent. When you're not here, your influence is missing. Would you look at me? Would you listen to this? It's so important. It's not just that when you come, you get a blessing. It's that when you come, you give a blessing. When you're here, you bless other people. When, when, when you're seen... You bless other people's heart because you're saying to them, I value you, I value here, I value us. And so your, your presence is, is being a blessing to other people. We spend our whole life as Christian people saying, well, I, I don't get anything out of it. I, I don't go because I don't get anything out of it. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's that in the Bible? Where'd you find that? not my Bible. No, no, we're, we're supposed to be blessings. So, so there are times, even when you don't feel like going, you should go. Why? To be a blessing. Just to be a blessing to people. Just to show up and, and bless other people while you're there. And I, look, look, you know me. I, I understand there are times you can't come. And we've been through a really horrible couple of years. Uh, and I understand that. So this is, a, this is by no means saying that if you're not here that you're really whacked out. I'm just simply saying every chance you can, I want you to know that you're valuable and vital to us and you encourage us by being here. We love you. We love seeing you. 
And you being a part of who we are, you encourage me and you add to my life. And I'm very grateful and very, very thankful. I'm very thankful for that. So here's Samson. Now, we, let's talk about ignorance for a moment, okay? And again, we're not talking about dumb. We're talking about, okay, well, I didn't know that. Okay, well, why didn't Samson know that? Because he shut himself off from the two people that loved him most. You know what he did? Talk about ignorance. He cut out the voice of his mom and his dad. The two people that loved him more than anybody in all the world. Suddenly now, he's isolated himself, and so he's saying to them, no, I don't want to hear you. Boy, I want to tell you something. Listen to me. I wish I could hear my mom and dad today. I've got some recordings where we, we can go back and play the recording, and I hear, my, my, I hear my pop talk, my mom. Boy, that means a lot to me. You know why? Because their voice is special. And their voice was a clarion call to me in the years of my life that encouraged me and guided me through. Here's a guy that says to his mom and dad, look, listen, I, I just don't want to hear you anymore. I'm doing my own thing. That's pretty ignorant. Not only that, but, but uh, uh, he shuts himself off from the warning of God. Now, I want you to think with me, okay? You, everybody with me? Watch this. You ready with the camera, Georgia? Let's go this way. Okay, so here we are. Here, here, is, here is Samson. Samson is on his way home from Timnath, okay? Now, now, he's not living right. He's not where he's supposed to be. He shouldn't be there. He should be listening to mom and dad. Their voice should be in his life. He should be obeying the word of God. He's a Nazarite. He's got a Nazarite vow. He's not, he's not fulfilling the Nazarite vow. But he's been to Timnath. Wait a minute. He's already violated, the, the, he's already violated so many things in his vow, he's not walking right with God. He's not walking right with mom and dad. He's not obeying the will of God. But now he's coming back in that condition from Timnath, heading home, and a lion attacks him. But now, can I? How many of you have ever been attacked by a lion? Now, I did. I, I came face to face with one on a trail hunting up in the Trinities. Okay, I did. Huge mountain lion. It was the size of a grizzly bear. That's a slight exaggeration. But when he and I saw each other, I was from here to Betty. When we saw each other, I had a 45 on my side and a 308 in my hand. When we saw each other, we just stared for a moment. And he, he backed off. He was intimidated and moved on. <laughs> Thankfully. And uh, so he's coming home. He's coming home from Timothy. He gets attacked by a lion. You know what happens when he gets home? You don't say a word to mom and dad. You know why? Because mom and dad probably would have said, um, you know, Samson, your life's not really going in the right direction. I mean, you think maybe, you think maybe mom and dad might have said, Samson, why don't you think about why? Is there a why behind this? You're out of the will of God. You're rebelling against us. You're rebelling against everything right in life. You're running with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things, and a lion attacks you, and you're just gonna, you're not gonna say, you're just gonna cruise on through life. You better, listen, if God's calling your number, you better answer. 16 years old, I had a 1963 Mercury Comet. 
My life was so wrapped up in sports, it was unbelievable. Started playing when I was six years old, played all the way up through college. My God was anything that, that, that you could kick or hit with a bat or, or shoot through a hoop. That was, that was my God. I, I did everything I could do. I loved every bit of it, enjoyed every second of it, boxing and baseball and basketball and football. And we didn't have soccer then. And, and I mean, it was just, it, my, that was my whole life. So I'm going to Tybee Island. I'm going to Tybee Island for a, a, my second basketball season that year. You know, on Highway 80, with marsh grass on both sides of the road, suddenly my, my vehicle, the rear end locked in at my vehicle, began to spin. And I remember the smell of burning rubber as it began to eat up marsh and eat up grass. And I remember knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God Almighty was calling my number. And as I sat in that car after it came to a stop, thankfully, and smoke was billowing and pouring out everywhere, I remember saying there, okay, God. <laughs> Okay, this is not a fully white flag, it's got stripes, but whatever I had, I waved it. Okay. You know why? Because I was running as fast from God as I could possibly go because God was calling me to preach, and the last thing in the world I wanted to do was preach. I wanted to win a Super Bowl or pitch a no-hitter. Or I, wanted to, I, wanted, I wanted to do something. Why? Because it pleaseth me. That's why Sam, he said, you get her for me, why? Because she pleases me. I wanted to live my, way, my life my way, why? Because I liked my way better than God's way. And when God called me to preach, I'm going to be real honest with you, I got on my bicycle, so to speak, I went in the opposite direction of God. I wanted nothing to do with the call of God on my life. Nothing to do with it. And so I was ignorant for so long there. I'd cut some some voices out that needed to be in my life, but God called my number that day. And, and he called Samson's number, but Samson just barges on ahead. N number four, ignorance leads to folly. Now, let's go, to, let's go to, back to 14, and then it runs just right into 15, because Samson throws a party. Okay, he, Listen to me, he, he's getting married, man. And he doesn't have a lot of friends in Timnath, and so they gather 30 guys together. So here's, here's, he's on the, he's center stage. I mean, man, listen to me, he's throwing riddles out. People can't figure out what he's, I mean, he's, this guy's, he's, he's got it. He's the new guy on campus. I mean, he's, he's the, uh, he's the, he's the best guy on campus right now. He's the guy that, 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 that's got everything going for him. He thinks he's Fitch, but he doesn't realize he's not a Philistine. He, he thinks that they love him, but they don't. No, he's like the prodigal son who finds the far country and the whole crowd gathers around him until he wastes his substance with riotous living uh, in Luke chapter 16. And, and, and now all of a sudden, all the friends are gone. Ignorance leads to folly. Folks, look at me. Listen to me. Do you know what sin will help you do? Everybody with me? Sin will help you really make A fool of yourself. You'll say things and do things and go places. You'll just, you're better than that. You were created better than that. You're made in the image of God. And yet, 
this is what I said to somebody not long ago. I said, sin makes you stupid. No, no, I've been there. I've been there in my life where Dean was stupid. I mean, when God had everything for me, really, I'm running from God? When God has, well, God has a good wife and, and good kids and a good life and a wonderful ministry and, 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 and great people, and I'm running from that? Yeah, you know why? Because I was stupid. I, I, I was so stupid that I actually thought Dean's way was better than God's way. Boy, that makes sense. No, God's way is always better than my way. And so, so ignorance leads to folly. You know what Samson had? He tells this riddle and everybody stumped. Look at me. You know what Samson had? Samson had wit, but he didn't have wisdom. Oh, he could talk, man. Samson was a talker. No, no, no. Oh, he could manipulate. I mean, Samson could hold the crowd in his palm of his hand as, as he stood center stage and cracking jokes and, 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 and just leading the group and everybody saying, dude, that guy, he's got his charisma, man. But he lacked discernment. He was void of wisdom. He had no true understanding of what life was all about. And so it led him directly to folly. It makes you think you can disobey God and get by with it. Sin, sin makes you think that you can find happiness outside of a relationship with the very God that gives you breath and life every day. Sin tells you that, 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 that you know what's best for you and that everybody else in your life is wrong. Sin helps you misappropriate the scriptures so that they will fit what you're doing. Oh, no, no, I got a verse for that. I'm so tired of talking to people that are, that, whose life has gone, it's gone off track. And when I sit down with them, the first thing they try to do is take the word of the living God and twist it so it fits what they're doing. No, no, no. No, God didn't give us the right to rest the word to fit our lifestyle. We have to fit it, not make it fit us. And so lacking discernment, he thinks he's in control until suddenly he's openly embarrassed and everything falls apart. Fifth of all, folly leads to failure. Now I'm going to close in just a moment, but, but, but listen to me. Folly leads to failure. Because here, wait a minute, no, no. He, he chose it. No, no, I don't care what God says. No, I'm taking her. No, why? I like the way she looks. I'm choosing her. I don't care if that's forbidden. I'm choosing. I don't care what mom and dad said. I don't care what the Bible said. I'm choosing her. I am choosing her because that's the one I want. Okay, that's, that's all right. You, could, you got the right to make that choice. But he's destroying his own potential. His carnality and his obstinance is wrecking his own potential that God has. God wants to use him in a great way, but, 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 but he's, he's, he's doing things that are contrary to God's will for his life. Yeah, he does things that the average person can't do. Yes, he does. He's stronger than any other man. The average person couldn't do what he did. But do you know why? So not because of Samson, it's because of God. It's like a pastor that stands up and, and leads a great congregation. And you look at him and, dude, he's got it all together. This guy's got charisma and 
He's a people person, and man, he can speak, and he's suave. He's a wordsmith, and he's talking, and he's got everything going, and everybody looks at him and like, good night, this guy's just leadership personified. Then you find out his private life is a sham, and it's all a farce, and it's all a fake, and he's nothing but a facade. Well, why is that? It's because he has the gift of God on his life. And he's able to do things that the average guy maybe would look at and say, that's, he's, he's got it. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's toying with it. He can write a book or run a television ministry. But his personal life's a mess. Look at me. Just because a man has a large, successful ministry does not mean that he has a satisfied soul. That comes through your walk with Christ. Comes through your quiet time when nobody's there to say amen, when nobody's there to pat you on the back. It comes from when you and God get together and you confess to God your absolute inability to do anything. Here's the deal. And I'll say this at another point. I don't believe Samson was Lou Ferrigno or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't, I don't believe when you looked at him, it was like, dude. Nathan, I believe, I may be wrong on this, but I believe that when he walked in a gym, I don't think anybody would have said, son, he has been busting the weights. This guy, I don't think he had a neck like this. I, I don't believe that. It, if he did, then why was everybody asking where his strength came from? Where's the secret to your strength? Well, what do you think? See that baby? See that gun? I can't do it much because it'll pop my coat. But uh, I don't want to do that a whole lot. But I, I don't think he walked out. I mean, I mean, if he walked out like this, and, you know, I mean, everything's just, I mean, he's just, he just massive muscle. Nobody's going to say, son, why are you so strong? I think he looked like an average guy. And I think people said, where did where'd the strength come from? I'll tell you exactly where the strength come. It came from God. Samson didn't slay a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey because he was a, a, a great warrior. He slew it because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So here, here's a guy, here's a guy that, that, that has got everything you could possibly think of, but he's not happy. Don't you dare think that all the battles and all the dead bodies of the Philistines means this guy's a raving success. No, he's actually a failure. No, he's, he's killing the enemy, but he's killing himself at the same time. Last of all, and, and I close, and that's simply this, failure leads to regret. Now, now wait a minute. Okay, so, so wait a minute. Preach, I don't, oh, come on now. I don't see any regret in chapter 14. It's not. I don't see any regret in chapter 15. It's not. It's not there. You know why? Because the regret's never at the beginning. The regret's at the end. You see, right now, right now he's riding the crest of everything. Everybody's saying, Samson is the man. He, he is the man. He is the man. You know, I mean, everybody's masculinity in Israel is compared to Samson's. But, but he's consumed with anger. He, I mean, I mean, he's obliterating anything and everybody that gets in his way. I mean, anybody that doesn't line up with him, he's angry with his parents. 
He's angry with his wife. He's angry with his father-in-law. He's angry with those that are angry with his wife and his father-in-law. He gets mad at them. Anybody that stands in this path. He has no regrets right now because he doesn't have enough sense to have regrets right now. Look, would you hear that? He has no regrets right now because he doesn't have enough sense right now to have any regrets in his life. They come later. But oh, my friend, do they come. And we'll just jump ahead for a moment and find him grinding at a mill. His, his, his eyes have been gouged out. His body now weakened. He's blind. He can't see. He's mocked. He's ridiculed by the very enemy that he once conquered. And there in that lonely place, now, finally, Samson has regrets. And he gives his life because of it. My brother Mark, who I loved very deeply, I was the last of three boys. We're bookended by two girls, Amy, who you know, and my sister Judy. Judy's the oldest, Amy's the youngest. Jimmy, Mark, Dean. My middle brother Mark trusted Christ when he was a teenage boy, became one of the greatest witnesses I have ever known. Amy does not even know this Mark. She was too young to even see it. But he became a great witness, a great soul winner. He told everybody about his faith. And to the extent that mom would get phone calls, people that were upset because he was bugging them, he would go door to door with a record from Jack Van Epi, the greatest love story ever told, and ask if he could go in the house, would you just listen to this record? He would sit down with them, and because he didn't know how to do it all, he would play the record for them and then ask them if they would trust Jesus. He won Bible memory contest where he memorized more Bible than anybody else at camps that he went to. But as he advanced in school, he was a boxer. I watched his professional fights in the Savannah Civic Center. He was a weightlifter, strong as a bull, all-star baseball player, had potential, unbelievable. But as he advanced in school, he struggled with his need for approval. The one thing he could not take was the need for approval and his hatred of ridicule. And so he caved in under peer pressure. His life began to be filled with other things rather than God and Scripture. He became an alcoholic. He lost his marriage and lost his kids. And to be quite honest with you, he lost his life. And there were times I'd get a phone call in the wee hours of the night. And he'd be in Laramie in the dead cold of winter on the other end of the line crying. And he said to me, Dean, I'm going to freeze to death. They're running me out of the, they're running me out of the gas station here. I can't stay here any longer. 
And I'd find out where he's at, and I'd find some cheap hotel somewhere where I could get him a handful of nights, and I'd get him a bus ticket, and I'd send him back to Florida or back to Gulfport or somewhere. He wouldn't come stay with family because with family there were guidelines and things that he had to do. You can't do that here. And he chose his lifestyle over people that loved him. Sin doesn't add, it subtracts. Sin doesn't fill, it drains. Sin doesn't build, it destroys. And when he was six years younger than I am now, my sister and I got in a vehicle and drove to Elko, Nevada to find my alcoholic brother. Owned the first home that he ever owned in his life. It was the back of a pickup truck off of a Datsun pickup truck. Small little crammed room. I knocked on the door. I had to help him out. He came and we sat out on a bench and Amy and I spent two days with him. And he said this to us. It wasn't worth it. He said, I look back over my life and it wasn't worth it. I wasted my life. Now I want to tell you why pastors are so passionate. Because we see the end in the life of people like my brother Mark. And the end is always different than the beginning. In the beginning, there's, yeah, my way. I'm choosing my path. I'm going to be free from all the expectations. But there's no real freedom there. At the end, there's always a heart full of regrets. That's Samson. That's how he died. And God gives us his story so that we can learn from his mistakes and not make them in our own life. Let's, let's bow. Could we? Our heads for a moment. Now, I don't know how God would apply this lesson, these lessons. Maybe you're flirting with things you ought not flirt with right now. Okay? Well, flirtation leads to fixation. Maybe you're at the point where you're, you're beginning to isolate. You're, you're isolating people that love you. Isolating those that care for you. You're cutting them off. You're taking from you some of the greatest counsel you'll ever have. It leads to ignorance and, and folly and failure and regrets. Let me tell you this. God's way is always the best way. It's always the best way. I've made mistakes in my life. I've gone a different direction than God's way, and I just want to stand and tell you, man, God's way is the best way. It's the best way. It's the happiest way. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'll take a Bible. If you'll just say, look, I'd like to know how to go to heaven, we'll take a Bible before you leave this campus. We'll get with you privately and show you how you can know for sure Jesus Christ is your Savior. You can know that today beyond a shadow of a doubt if you want to.
choose his way. It's the best way. Father, we thank you for who you are to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you give us, boy, you give us everything in the book, Lord, that we need. It's not just the good parts. It'd be easy to paint Samson as a Marvel hero and he wins every victory and every battle and he's a flawless individual, but we couldn't identify if he were. But we do know, God, that we have failures and flaws and and we know you love us still so help us dear god i pray that we would live our life in obedience to your word save those lord that may be here that don't know christ as their savior help them to know dear god how much you love them and bless us this week use us for your glory in jesus name i pray amen